Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. The time for debate is over. It's been settled. It's time now for action. Well, where have you heard that before? Probably my previous podcast, because that's how I opened it. Kind of an attention getter. And how often have you heard that phrase? Well, Jay Seegard here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We are finishing our two-part series entitled The Myth of Settled Science. If you heard the first part like that, I think you're really going to like the second part because I think it's even more practical. But before we get any further, please make sure you subscribe to these podcasts. And if you can, leave a five-star review. That helps us greatly in reaching others. So, what can you expect today? Well, we discussed some very crucial information last time, as usual, uh, setting the stage for this episode, but we didn't quite get to everything I wanted to, so we'll tackle that first, and then we're going to hit two very specific issues as we apply what we learned last time to the real world around us. And again, this is a huge, huge, massive topic. There's no way we're going to do it justice, but uh, at least introducing it to you, and hopefully it'll be helpful. And this will serve as a great precursor for discussing the creation versus evolution controversy, which I will get to after this podcast. Goals for this one here, we're, we're going to describe our situation, which we did, the current situation. I did share some general principles in part one. This time we're wrapping that up quickly and then we're getting to the two specific examples. Again, just hitting the highlights, but it's all very important stuff. And again, as a reminder, we have a lot of free resources on our ministry website, thestartingpointproject.com. Lots of free videos, articles, and a bunch of other things, so please visit the website if you're not familiar with it. Um, Here's a quote that I had last time. It's worth repeating. Richard Feynman, American theoretical physicist, he said, quote, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned, unquote. Very powerful. Again, you you get the point. It's okay not to have answers for, for some things because nobody knows everything. No one ever will. But it's not good when people won't let you ask questions or question what they're claiming. We talked last time about the fact that science is not black and white. They're not just going into a laboratory and coming out and saying, sorry, this is what it is. There's a lot of of color there. I gave many examples of how science can be used as a club to bully us into submission, getting us to do whatever it is they want us to do. Here's a section I didn't get a chance to to cover last time. We'll go through this kind of fast, and then we'll get through the the two examples, which would be the the core of part two here. Science is never settled. Again, we're talking about the myth of settled science. You know, it's, it's been settled. The debate is over. We know now for sure. Stop asking questions. Just do what we're telling you to do. But science is never really settled. I mean, think about it. They tell you eggs are good. Eggs are bad. Aspirin is good. Aspirin is bad. Chocolate is good. Chocolate is good. Don't fight me on that one. You will lose... <laughs> But, you know, they change their minds all the time. They keep coming out with new things and, oh, you know, we discovered this, we discovered that. Um, I'm going to give you some examples of when science was wrong. Now, guess what? 
Science has never, ever been wrong. Why do I say that? Because science doesn't say anything at all. It really, really doesn't. Scientists say stuff. They look at data, they do experiments, they perform science, and then they give us their conclusions. And they can be wrong in their conclusions because, you know, they don't know everything, they make mistakes. So here are some examples when scientists were wrong about their claims. And I'm going to fly through these faster than normal. The idea of a geocentric system, that the Earth was at the center of the solar system, taught by Aristotle and Ptolemy, uh, then later, Copernicus and Galileo come along and say, no, that's totally wrong. The sun is at the center. Uh, we call it the solar system today. But for many, many, many years, they said, no, we know the earth is at the center until they found out they were terribly wrong. Uh, the idea of bloodletting. When people used to get sick, doctors often would drain their blood to get rid of that bad blood. That's why they're sick. They have bad blood. It's largely how George Washington died. If you heard my series on uh, scientific evidence for the inspiration of Scripture, uh, you would hear this example. So Washington gets sick. He's in pneumonia. Goes to the doctor. Oh, this guy's sick. you got to get rid of that bad blood. So they drain some blood. He gets sicker. It's like, wow, this guy's really sick. Drain some more blood. He gets even sicker. It's like, wow, this guy is so sick. They ended up draining almost a gallon of blood out of him, and he died. Well, we know better today. You don't do that. You don't drain the blood. In fact, the Bible said a long time ago in Leviticus, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So we know better. We don't do that anymore. Here's another example. Ignis Semmelweis, a Hungarian medical doctor back in the 1800s. At that time, the mortality rate in Europe for women giving birth in hospitals was 25 to 30 percent. What does that mean? That literally means 25 to 30% of women who went to the hospital to deliver their baby, the women, the mothers, did not come back home. They died in the hospital. 25 to 30%, that is horrendous. Well, Dr. Semmelweis noticed something. He thought there was a connection with germs and things like that causing some of this, so he started washing with water and chlorine. And in his own practice, he got the percentage down to 0.85, a dramatic, dramatic improvement. So you can imagine how ecstatic the other doctors were. It's like, this is awesome. Thank, thank you for discovering that. Nope. He was told to stop with all the hand-washing nonsense. In fact, they locked him up in a mental hospital. He was severely beaten by the guards while he was trying to escape, and he died two weeks later at the age of 47. We know better today. Yes, you need to wash. There are germs, but they were totally ignoring that. They were totally wrong about their conclusions for a long time. How about the plates of the earth? The scientists were unanimous pretty much. They believed the plates of the earth did not move. These things are massive. There's no way they were moving. But in 1859, Antonio Snyder Pellegrini, he was a Christian geographer, he proposed the idea that he thought the plates have moved. In fact, they moved catastrophically during the Genesis flood. This was 1859 that he was talking about that. That's the same year Darwin came up with the origin of species, which got a lot more attention. Well, uh, Snyder Pellegrini was mocked and rejected for about 100 years in his idea that these plates move. The scientists were like, you're crazy. The plates don't move. Who would believe that? Well, <laughs> Pretty much all the scientists today believe the plates have moved. 
the 1960s, secular scientists realized, wow, this guy was right, but they put their own spin on it. It didn't move catastrophically. They said, oh, it's just slow, gradual drift over millions and millions and millions of years. I'll get into that later when we do our old creation versus evolution uh, series. Here's another one. We used to put mercury in our medicine. Uh, we go out of our way today to make sure mercury doesn't get in things, especially fish and all that. It's not good for your health, but we were actually putting it in our medicine. Last example, the concept of junk DNA. When scientists were first looking at DNA, they thought that only 2% of our DNA did anything. It coded to make proteins that carry out all the functions in our bodies. The other 98% useless junk. They called it junk DNA. They said that was proof of evolution because God would never design you so that 98% of your DNA doesn't do anything. Well, they kept studying it, and today we know the 98% they were calling junk, it's more complex than the 2%. It's instructions telling the 2% what to do. In fact, one uh, secular scientist, a molecular biologist, John Maddock, he said, quote, the failure to recognize the implications of the non-coding DNA will go down as the biggest mistake in the history of molecular biology, unquote. So he's saying that portion, that 98% that we were calling junk, big, big, big mistake to ever call that junk. That's probably going to be the biggest mistake in the history of molecular biology. So those are a few things I didn't get to last time. I wanted to rush through those to quickly jump into the two major examples that we're going to apply these principles that we've been learning to real-life issues. Two topics here, COVID-19 and climate change. So certainly no controversy here, right? <laughs> uh, I'll be pretty brief with COVID. We'll move into climate change. Uh, with COVID-19, the phrase, follow the science, that really became a popular phrase connected with COVID. You just need to follow the science. It's black and white, and we're telling you what the science is, so you do what we're telling you to do. We were hearing that over and over and over. Well, there was an interesting article on WebMD, very prestigious medical website. The title was Year of COVID. Subtitle was Everything We Thought We Knew Was Wrong. Wait, did they just say they were off in a few areas? No, they said everything we thought we knew was wrong. Well, what happened to follow the science? I mean, if they were wrong about what they thought they knew, then they were wrong in telling us what we were supposed to be doing. And they're finally coming around to admitting some of that. That reminded me of a Time Magazine article a number of years ago. The cover story had a big picture of a dinosaur on it. And the title was The Truth about dinosaurs. And then there was a subtitle again on it, and I could not believe the subtitle they put on it. It was this, surprise, just about everything you believe is wrong. Okay, then I was thinking, wait a minute, where did most people learn about dinosaurs? From them, from the secular publications, Time Magazine, Smithsonian, Science, National Geographic, whatever it is. But now we're being told that we're wrong about all those beliefs, the things that they told us. Those are all wrong now. But now they're going to tell us the truth, even though they're inadvertently admitting they were wrong before. But now we're supposed to trust them because now they really, really know. That, that doesn't make any sense. And again, they were admitting they were terribly wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to tell us a completely different story now. Now, 
as I'm talking about COVID-19, have a huge caveat. I am not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one. I don't have a white lab coat. I don't own a stethoscope. I can't spell stethoscope. Well, maybe I can. Um, I am not going to say vaccines are good or bad, that you should get vaccinated or you shouldn't. I actually have very strong opinions about these things, but I ain't smart enough or important enough for you to have to know what I think in those areas. You want to contact me and ask, that's fine, but I don't feel like I need to travel around so everyone can know what I say about those things. That's not where I'm headed with this. I am simply pointing out some things that no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, if you have gotten every single vaccine that has ever come out and you even made up your own, or you've never gotten one and never will no matter what, or you're anywhere in between, no matter where you are, what I'm going to bring up should be a red flag to everyone because it's things that should never, ever happen in the name of science, but yet they have happened. First, we'll talk about the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. They were talking about hydroxychloroquine. I'm sure you remember that. This was a prescription drug that was developed back in the 40s. They first used it to treat malaria. It was very successful. The CDC claimed that a study had been conducted in which there were 96,000 COVID patients. They were from 671 hospitals on five continents, and they were all treated with hydroxychloroquine. Okay, then they published the results of the study in The Lancet. This is the world's leading medical journal. And the study results claimed that hydroxychloroquine did not help curb COVID-19 and it might even cause death in the patients. Now, imagine that you are a doctor. Doctors are really smart people, but there's no way they can keep up with every area so they rely on other experts and journals like The Lancet to give them the latest and greatest in whatever area. That's the best they can do. So let's say you're a doctor and you have a patient who's got COVID and you've heard good things about hydroxychloroquine and thought you saw good results, so you were about to prescribe that. But then you read this article in The Lancet and you think, wait a minute, apparently it doesn't help at all and it might even kill my patient. Are you going to prescribe that? No way. <laughs> You would be so liable in a sense when you're reading this article and says this is this is not going to help and it could even kill your patient and then you went ahead with it anyway. So now all of a sudden all the doctors are saying, no, we're staying away from that hydroxychloroquine. We know that that's bad stuff. Well, they don't actually know that. They, they read the results from a study in The Lancet. What was interesting is some doctors thought, well, that's curious because I don't remember seeing the original study, but here I'm reading the results. Well, the reason they didn't remember the original study is it never happened. The study was not conducted, but yet the results of a study that was never conducted were published in The Lancet. So much for peer review. How does that even get in there? Later, they had to put a retraction saying, oops, you know, sorry, yeah, I guess that shouldn't happen. It doesn't matter. The message has already gone out. The majority of doctors you know, read the title of the article or the article. I mentioned that in the last uh, episode. You know, they saw the headlines. They read a little bit of the article. They stay away from it. That's all. They don't have to worry about was it retracted later um, because the damage has been done. Something very similar. Rolling Stone magazine talked about ivermectin. Again, another proposed uh, treatment for COVID. 
in the Rolling Stone magazine, they said that Oklahoma hospitals were overwhelmed by patients who had overdosed on ivermectin, so much so they could not treat gunshot victims in the ER. So people are being shot, coming to the hospital, they're saying, oh, we'd like to help you, but we just have all these people who have overdosed on ivermectin. How awful. Well, you don't want to use ivermectin, right? It never happened. Totally false story. But because they published it in their magazine, all the other news outlets jumped on it and repeated what was reported in Rolling Stone. So the message went out, the damage was done. Doesn't matter that it didn't happen. Even if someone admits later that oops, <laughs> the damage has already been done. And that's often what they're looking for. All right, I told you we're gonna go fast. I'm gonna move on to the second topic already. Climate change. We'll spend a little bit more time here because I think this one's gonna be around for a long time. The COVID thing that's waned quite a bit. You know, will it come back again? I don't know, maybe. But it doesn't matter because we got climate change. Climate change is going to be around and it's going to be, I think, misused in many different ways. And so I'm just going to cover this briefly. We could do a 10-part series on it, but you don't need that much detail. So I'm just going to highlight a few things. I'll start out talking about the Green New Deal. What is that? Well, it states that the government should prohibit the use of fossil fuels and switch through mandates, that means forcing, to the use of 100% renewable energy, like wind and solar. So the Green New Deal would say, we will not let you use fossil fuels anymore. You have to. You are required to switch to 100% renewable energy. That's, that's the Green New Deal summarized. Well, what about this wind and solar? Well, today, about 80% of our energy uses here in the U.S. comes from these fossil fuels, the oil, coal, and, and natural gas. Maybe, I don't know, 5 to 8% comes from wind and solar. I see different numbers and different reports. It's a, you know, a small percentage coming from wind and solar. So what's the problem with wind and solar? Well, mainly that it's unreliable. You may remember back in, I think it was 2021 uh, in Texas, the wind turbines froze. And it caused a lot of damage and a lot of problems because they're unreliable. The weather changes and there's many, many, many factors causing them to be unreliable. And we are close to being maxed out in efficiency with wind and solar because of something we like to call physics. <laughs> you can only get so efficient converting solar to energy and wind to energy. And we're getting pretty close to those maximums. So we're not going to see great gains in those technologies. And Tesla Tesla has built the world's largest battery factory. So when you get the energy from the wind and solar, you got to store it somewhere until you're ready to use it. Well, Tesla built the world's largest battery factory. It would take Tesla 500 years to build enough batteries to supply the U.S. for one day of energy. It is completely not feasible whatsoever. Plus, you have to mine a lot more materials and minerals to make the batteries and the solar panels and the wind turbines. And then when they stop working, you throw them on a landfill pile because they don't work and they're non-renewable sources, everything you're using to put them together. And you consume a lot more fossil fuels to run the factories to make these technologies. So should we get rid of wind and solar? No, we don't need to get rid of them, but we should not be switching over to them until 
it makes sense and we're nowhere near that. So keep working on them. They work great in small applications for homes and different things. You don't want to get rid of them, but don't switch the whole country or the whole world over to them when it can't handle that. Now, another thing related to climate change and global issues like that is the concept of overpopulation. Too many people on this earth, we're warming it up, we're eating all our resources up and on and on. You've, you've been hearing this for years and years and years. Well, not too long ago, we reached 8 billion people on this planet. And so is the earth overcrowded? Well, we're told that. Here's an interesting visual. you got to picture it in your mind because we're doing audio. <laughs> you could take every single person on the face of this planet, 8 billion people, stand them side by side, and they would fit in the state of Texas. The entire rest of the planet would be empty. Here's where it gets more interesting. They wouldn't actually fill up the entire state of Texas. They'd only fill 0.1% of the state. The rest of the state would be empty. The rest of the planet would be empty. Is the earth overcrowded? No, not even close. Quick side note, and um, I'm taking my chances with this one, but people bring it up. How could we get 8 billion people if a biblical narrative is true? There's a lot to that statement, but I'll focus on a portion of it. I just did a series on the biblical flood. Biblically speaking, the flood is dated, we'll just round it off, 4,500 years ago. So let's, it's, let's say 4,400 years ago. That's when the Bible says there was a worldwide flood when we would have been starting over filling the earth. So let's use that time frame, as crazy as that is to people. And I will get to all that when we do our creation and evolution controversy. Um, can you get 8 billion people in just roughly 4,500 years? Well, starting out with a single couple, let's say, just doing some numbers, and this, this is a lot of numbers, doesn't always work so well with audio, but let's just say you, you did start with one couple, one man, one woman, Doubling them just 32 times gives you over 8.5 billion people. You just have to double the population 32 times. 2, 4, 8, 16. You do that 32 times and you have more than 8.5 billion people. So that would do that. Well, is that feasible? Could you really double 32 times in just 4,400 years? Well, you would need to double once every 183 years to accomplish that. So once every 183 years, the population has to double. Well, is, is that feasible? Is that crazy? Well, compare that 183 years to the fact that today we are doubling in just every 40 to 50 years. <laughs> so today it's actually happening. We're doubling it every 40 to 50 years. So doubling it in just 183 is a piece of cake. There'd be no problem in getting today's population in a short period of time. Now, here is a much, much more interesting question. What should the population be today if we've been evolving from an ape-like creature starting about 6 million years ago? Because that's the secular narrative. We were taught that we evolved from an ape-like creature starting maybe 6 million years ago. Well, let's be conservative. Let's not say 6 million. Let's just talk about modern man when we finally reached our more modern form. Let's say that's 200,000 years ago. And let's give them a break even further. And let's say not 200,000 years ago, but 50,000 years ago, we, we reached our modern, modern form. And so how many people should be on the planet if we've been multiplying for 50,000 years? Okay, the number that should be on the planet 
would be a one with 100 zeros after it. It's actually called a Google. I know we use Google all the time, the internet, um, but that's, that's the name of that big number, one with 100 zeros. That's a Google. That is a massive, massive number. So as an analogy, again, we're doing a lot of numbers here, not always the best choice, but atoms are really small. An atom, single atom, very small. You can fit 20 million trillion atoms in a single grain of sand. That's a huge number, 20 million trillion in a single grain of sand. How big is that number? That's a big number, but it's not nearly as big is what the population should be on this planet today if we've been around 50,000 years. All right, how about not just the atoms in a single grain of sand? How about all of the atoms in the entire known universe? I mean, that's a massive number, right? Yeah, it is. It's much bigger. still too small. The number of atoms in the entire universe is a much smaller number than the population today should be if we've been around just 50,000 years. All right, you would need 100 million trillion universes and count all the atoms in them to equal the population of Earth today if we've been multiplying for just 50,000 years. That's crazy. It makes no sense whatsoever. So some say, oh, well, we've just grown so slowly that we're just now reaching this population size. All right. That really doesn't make any sense. And even if it happened that slow, where are all the artifacts and bones from the trillions of people who have lived and died, lived and died, lived and died over that time? We should be drowning in those things. But it's pretty rare that we run into those things and we get really excited when we find one because they're rare. It does not match up with 50,000 years or 200,000 years, let alone 6 million years it lines up with a biblical narrative of a flood closer to four and a half thousand years ago. Again, I'll give you a lot more detail in the future, another podcast on that. Uh, some of you who aren't young <laughs> might remember a guy named Jacques Cousteau, French explorer, uh, conservationist, fascinating guy. I loved watching his shows where he'd go down a little submarine and loved hearing his French accent. Uh, smart guy, he was you know, a secular scientist, but this is what he said in reference to overpopulation. He said, quote, in order to stabilize world population, we need to eliminate 350,000 people a day, unquote. Uh, what do you mean eliminate? <laughs> I think we know what some people mean by eliminate, and it's pretty creepy. The idea is that many people who are very high in levels of government and around the world, what they would like to do to control the population. I don't even have to go down that rabbit trail. You can come up with your own ideas there, but they're not trying to hide their ideas anymore. They're just putting them right out there. Um, but back to climate change specifically, we talked about you know Earth's population temporarily that's related to all this, but back very specifically to climate change. I'm about to say something absolutely brilliant, so you might want to write this down. Here's my statement. Climate change is climate change. Wasn't that brilliant? <laughs> I'm thinking of something very sarcastic now, and I'm going to um, bite my lip for a few seconds and wait for this to pass so I don't say anything. If you would have heard it, you would agree it was pretty funny, but I, I don't want to be dishonoring to anyone uh, when it comes to sarcasm, so I'm just going to skip something that's in my head right now but about being brilliant. But climate change is climate change. 
The climate has always been changing, and it, and it always will. I really don't know people who deny climate change. They might deny some of the conclusions or details behind how some people think it got here, how is it continuing, what do we do to solve it and all that. That's a different story than just the fact that the climate changes. And there's a lot of alarmism connected to climate change. Um, out in Glacier National Park, I was out there uh, hiking and speaking. There was a sign for a long time out there, and it said that the glaciers will all be gone by 2020. And it went on to say that they were rapidly shrinking due to human-caused climate change. Computer models indicate the glaciers will all be gone by the year 2020. That's what the sign said. There's a lot in there. So they say they're going to be gone. And they say the reason they're going to be gone is due to human-caused climate change. So it's not just climate change, it's human-caused. So they know it's climate change, and they know that humans have caused the climate change, and their computer models, which are never wrong, they indicate the glaciers will all be gone by the year 2020. There's so much in there, especially with climate models. I don't have time to get into that, but I did computer programming for 12 years, and there's a principle called garbage in, garbage out. You can make a program, Put if you put garbage in in your input, you're going to get garbage out. And if you are cranking through things in a way that isn't proper, you're, you're going to get garbage out that way too. But they use computer models all the time and tell us, hey, this, this computer model, you can't argue with this. <laughs> you certainly can. So anyway, I was out there hiking and speaking in 2020. Guess what? The glaciers are still there. They're huge. Guess what's gone? The sign, yeah, because they were terribly wrong. They don't want everyone to know how wrong they were. And in 2020, back in 2020, it was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. The first Earth Day they had was 1970. I'm going to review a few of the 13 major failed predictions of Earth Day. All these things they were telling us that were going to happen, Predictions. We can look back now to see, oh, were they right or not because of their computer models and their thoughts and all. So I'm going to go over, I don't know, five or six of the 13. We won't, we won't hit all of them. And this comes courtesy of a place called FreedomWorks. And I'll do the quote-unquote thing so you know exactly what the prediction was. First one, quote, Civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind, unquote. That was said in 1970. So civilization will end within 15 to 30 years. That's by 1985 through the year 2000. That was a Harvard biologist. Um, we're still here. <laughs> civilization did not end. Totally wrong. Here's another one. Quote, population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years, unquote. It's a Stanford University biologist. Um, totally wrong about that one. Next one. Quote, in a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by one half, unquote. That's from Life Magazine. By 1985, we're only getting half the sunlight. Totally wrong. You'd have to wear gas masks just to survive. Totally wrong. And can you even imagine having to wear a mask? 
Oh, we did that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Different kind of mask. Here's another example. Quote, at the present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable, unquote. It's another ecologist. Totally wrong. Last one. Quote, the world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. If present trends continue, the world will be about 4 degrees colder than the global mean temperature in 1990, but 11 degrees colder in the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us into an ice age, unquote. Another ecologist. <laughs> What's going on there? They were worried about an ice age coming. I'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Uh, totally, totally wrong. So, And then that's just sampling. There was 13 major ones in all. I give them an F- minus as a grade for their predictions, but they're saying the same things today. If we don't take immediate action, then all hope is gone. You know, you need to do this right now, and they shame you if you don't jump on the bandwagon immediately, or it'll be too late. You see that over and over and over. So I have a dilemma I have a few more things that I want to cover, and I really don't want to rush through them. I was planning on doing this as a two-part series, but I'm pretty convinced it's going to be three parts. So the third part will probably be shorter than normal because, again, I just don't want to rush through the rest of this. So we're, we're getting warmed up here. I hope this is kind of making sense to you. You can see, yeah, these, these are alarming things. They shouldn't be happening independent of your background politically or otherwise, whether you're conservative, liberal, anywhere in the middle, Christian, atheist, like vaccines, don't, doesn't matter. These are things that should not be occurring, and they're, they're huge, huge red flags for everyone. So I'm going to wind down for now. appreciate you putting up with me going 50 million miles an hour. Um, hang in there. We will wrap this one up, I promise, in the third episode, the next one that's coming up. After that, we'll jump into the creation evolution controversy. So thanks for hanging in there. Please, again, make sure you subscribe. We want to get the listenership way up there. And again, if you can leave a five-star review, that's always a bonus for us as well. Makes a big, big difference. So thanks again for listening. You don't want to miss the final episode of The Myth of Settled Science. We will see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of The Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.